All right. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to get to John chapter 9, the Gospel of John chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. And if you're thinking 9 doesn't come after 3, we did 3 last week, Kate. I'm not sure how you count here. Uh, I'm just doing what I was assigned, people, all right? Uh, So John chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, but that's a good commercial for we do have a reading plan through the Gospel of John. And so you can find that at the welcome desk. You can find it on our website. You can find it on our social media. It's a good time. Jump in as we read through the Gospel of John together. You can put your eyes on every verse, although we will not cover every verse in this setting. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. Uh, During the quarantine, much like many of you, we decided to do a house project because we were just trying to make it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just like, we'll burn down this whole house and rebuild it if we have to. I don't know what it would take to get through this thing. So we decided to build a raised bed garden in our backyard. That's what we decided to do. So we could grow vegetables so we could feel like we're farmers in the suburbs. That's what we wanted to do. So we did that, and for the last few seasons, we have uh, had, had a handful of vegetables that we have eaten, and then we have, we've grown and eaten in our backyard. Last season, at some point, we were outside looking at our vegetables, because that's what you do when you grow vegetables. You look at them. That's what you do. You look, you look at them. And so it was nighttime. It was dark, and we, so dark, we were using flashlights to look at our vegetables there in our garden. Uh, picking off worms, actually, that were eating our, our uh, vegetables. So, you know, they were invading our space. Those are our vegetables. Get away from them. So we were out there to dealing with that. And somewhere along the way, my wife moves her light and gets uh, into her vision a huge, and I mean huge, spider web. Just, I mean, maybe four centimeters, I don't know how far it was, from my head and our head, but it was right there, and with an equally huge, and I mean huge, spider on that spider web. So you know what we did? We freaked out. That's what we did. Because I don't know how you feel about spiders. Personally, I don't really care how you feel about spiders, because I was the one who had to deal with that spider. We were in its presence for quite some time, the whole time. And yet never responded until we saw it for what it was. And when we saw it for what it was, we responded rightly. That's silly when it comes to spiders over your garden. It's really serious when it comes to Jesus. For some of us, we've lingered around the things of Jesus. Maybe you show up to places like this. But due to a variety of things, you are blind to the reality of Jesus And as a result, don't respond to him properly. But if we were to see him for who he really is, we would respond to him rightly. I think that's what we'll see today as we look at John chapter 9. So if you would stand with me in honor of reading God's word, John chapter 9, 35 to 41 will be our text reading today. We'll be in the whole chapter together, but for our reading, we will read John chapter 9, 35 to 41. If you're a guest today, we say this phrase at the end of our reading, the very words, just as a way to separate God's perfect words from mine that are not. John 9, verse 35, this is what the word of God says. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, and those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You can have a seat. This is the main idea for our time together. When we see Jesus for who he really is, we respond rightly. 
When we see Jesus for who he really is, we respond rightly. And we'll hopefully see this through all of John chapter 9 as we look at Jesus and the three blind people. And if you're thinking, I know this story, there aren't three blind people in this, I think that you'll see it from the gospel writer as we move through this together. The first blind person we see in verse 1. Look at John 9 verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So this is the scene. Jesus is rolling by and he sees a guy. And that guy is as identified as a man who is blind from birth. There has never been a moment in this dude's life where he is seen. I don't know how old he is, but the scriptures define him as a man. And it says that he is a man who was blind from birth. Every time this dude opened his eyes, he saw nothing. He was blind from birth. So now his disciples have a question in verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. The disciples with Jesus see this guy, he's blind from birth, and they see that his, he's suffering. And so if he's suffering, that must mean that someone sinned. It was either him or his parents. And maybe for some of you, you're here today amidst significant suffering, carrying an assumption about that suffering that perhaps God is punishing you. That's why you're suffering. Perhaps God is angry with you. That's why you're suffering. But what I hope that you see is the answer from Jesus gives a very different response. Verse 3. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says it's neither. It's neither his sin or his parents' sin. This guy right here is blind. He is facing suffering so that you and I and everyone around here today would see the work of God displayed in him. So to those of you who are amidst significant suffering, assuming that it's the punishment of God, could I provide you a different perspective and say what you're perceiving as the punishment of God might just be the platform on which God displays his work in your life. And I'm not saying that makes your suffering easier, but it does make it purposeful. That we serve a God who doesn't bail on us in our suffering, but meets us in it works amidst it. And that's a gift. That's a gift. He keeps going in verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So the scene is, Jesus makes some mud wipes it on his eyes, tells him, go to Siloam and wash. And the text says he comes back seeing. It's worth noting at this, at this point in the game, this guy has still not seen Jesus. He's heard him, he's felt him, but he's not seen him. And he goes to the pool and he rubs his eyes and he opens his eyes and for the first time in his life, he sees, can you just imagine that? The number of times that that guy has rubbed his eyes, opened them and been reminded, I'm blind. And yet this time, after an interaction with this man, Jesus, after I was in his presence and he touched my eyes with this mud, I've rubbed my eyes from the pool of Siloam and I've opened them and I can see. Perhaps Jesus is a much bigger deal than we even imagine. Perhaps he is the Messiah. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. The people are confused. They see him and they're like, you look a lot like the guy who used to sit here and beg as a blind guy. 
And people are like, that's not him. It looks like him, not him. Other people are like, no, bro, that's him. That's him. And he's like, it is him. I'm, yep, I'm him. They're confused. And as it is true for us, it's true for this guy. Transformation by Jesus ends up being an opportunity for proclamation about Jesus. Look at verse 10. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. All he knows is this guy Jesus showed up. He wiped mud on my eyes. I wiped it off at Siloam and I can see now. His transformation by Jesus became the platform on which he proclaimed about Jesus. This is the first blind person. And what I think the writer of the gospel, John, is going to do is use the healing of the man's physical blindness to reveal to the rest of the people in this passage and as a result to us that there is another, even greater kind of blindness that's in need of Jesus' healing and it's in every single one of us. It's in every single one of us. Let's see the second blind person beginning in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, because that's what you do when you see a miracle and you don't know how it works. They're like, let's bring him to the religious people. Maybe they'll know what's going on here. Verse 14, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how, the, how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I wash and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? They bring him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are like, how did this happen? He tells them the story again. He's like, no way this dude's from God, because it's the Sabbath, and if you heal on the Sabbath, you must not be from God. And their self-righteousness blinds them from the reality of Jesus. Their self-righteousness that exposes itself in a variety of ways, but here... It exposes itself because they have a knowledge of God's word, but they're not transformed by God's word. They have a knowledge of God's word, but they're not being transformed by God's word because for a Jew, particularly for a religious Jew, particularly for the one who identifies with the Pharisees, the moment that a dude rolls up in front of your face and says, I was blind and now I see. I used to not see, and now I see. The blind have received their sight. For a Jewish person who knows the scriptures, alarm bells ought to be going off in their head. This might be the Messiah. And their self-righteousness blinds them from the reality of Jesus because they carry a knowledge of God's word. but It's not transforming their life. Passages like Isaiah 30, uh, 29, verse 18 in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Or Isaiah 35, verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. These are the passages that ought to be rolling in their head as they hear the man's testimony, but because of their self-righteousness, they're blind to the reality of Jesus. So for some of us, maybe you carry significant knowledge about the scriptures. You've got a lot of Bible in your mind. But it's information, and it's not leading to your transformation. Maybe you can regurgitate some passages of the scriptures, but it's not actually affecting how you live your life. You know about God's word, but you're not being transformed by God's word. And your self-righteousness will blind you 
from the reality of Jesus or blind you from enjoying Jesus. The self-righteousness exposes itself another time, beginning in verse 24. Jump down to verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, which one of the commentators says. That's just their way of saying, tell us the truth. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. That's them speaking of Jesus. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And again, their self-righteousness blinds them from the reality of Jesus because they think that religious affiliation means God's affirmation. I'm affiliated with religious things. We are disciples of Moses. We know that Moses has heard from God, but as for this guy, we don't know where he comes from. We roll with Moses. We're affiliated with him. And they're they think that their religious affiliation means they've got God's affirmation. So too for some of us. You're here today, perhaps, because you think your church attendance will keep God off your back. You read the scriptures, you check the boxes on your Bible reading plan because you think it proves something to God. You give money, you listen to certain kinds of music, you raise your kids in a certain way, thinking that my religious affiliation, our religious affiliation, perhaps that will mean God's affirmation of us and your self-righteousness will blind you from the reality of Jesus. It will blind you from enjoying Jesus. Finally, the last way that this exposes itself, we see in verse 30, the man answered, why, this is amazing, an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This is the final plea of the guy born blind. He's like, guys, isn't this incredible? Like, can you not just notice that this is incredible? I was born blind, and now I can see. Never, ever, ever have we seen a guy who was born blind receive his sight. This must be from God. And look at their answer in verse 34. They answered him. You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Essentially, what do you know about the work of God? Get out of here. And their self-righteousness, one more time, blinds them from the reality of Jesus because they refuse to acknowledge the work of God when it's outside their box. We can't understand this. We don't get it. This can't be the work of God because we don't have a box for this. And their self-righteousness blinds them from the reality of Jesus and from enjoying Jesus. And so for us, it looks a little bit like this. In a little town in Kentucky a handful of weeks ago, a revival happened. And you hopped on social media and you saw some people choosing to celebrate the work of God. And other people criticizing it significantly. They didn't do this. They're doing this. It must not be from God. And they refuse to acknowledge the work of God right in front of them. Because it's outside their box. 
and their self-righteousness blinds them from the reality of Jesus and enjoying Jesus. Now listen, I'm not claiming to know everything about everything that happened in Kentucky, but here's what I do know. As my friend said, it seems a lot like God to take an insignificant people in an insignificant place and do something magnificent. That seems a lot like our God. So let's be the people who are quick to celebrate where God's at work and worship him as a result of it. Otherwise, lest our self-righteousness blind us from the reality of Jesus and from enjoying Jesus. This is the second blind person. The third we see beginning in verse 18. Jump back to verse 18. This I was not aware of until my friend pointed it out to me, but let's see this third blind person beginning in verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents, called the parents of the man who had received his sight. Because that's what you do when you're like, we've got to figure out who this dude actually is, so let's get his folks over here. They'll be able to see if this is his son or not. Because none of you are like, have a lineup of kids and you're like, this, kind of, this one looks kind of like ours. Let's just take him home with us. That seems legit. None of you do that. You know exactly who your child is. So they call his parents. They'll know. So they're going to ask him a couple of questions. Verse 19, and ask them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? They've got three questions. Is this your, is this your son? Was he born blind? How then does he see? If you give us the first two yeses, then you're on the hook to answer the third one. So let's see how they answer verse 20. His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Now you're on the hook, verse 21. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. And we could read this and think, way to empower your son. Like, it's time to be a man, answer for yourself, right? Like, do it. Except that the writer of John's gospel gives us their motive, verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And their fear blinds them from the reality of Jesus and from enjoying Jesus. We don't want to get shoved out of the synagogue, so we don't even want to smell like we're associated with this guy, Jesus. We want nothing to do with it because if we ride with him, it will cost us. We want to be in the synagogue. We don't want to be shoved out. We've got friends there. We can do business in this town because of who we know in the synagogue. We don't want to get shoved out. And their fear blinds them from the reality of Jesus. It blinds them from enjoying Jesus. So for us, Some of you refuse to identify with Jesus because of fear of what it will cost you to do so. And it's not because you're going to get shoved out of the synagogue. You're not concerned about that. But you are concerned with what it will cost you socially. If I really really ride with Jesus, if I really am serious about following Jesus, it's going to cost me socially. Like people are going to like label me and they're going to think that I'm weird and like they may like not want me to be around because I'm really about this Jesus guy. It's going to cost me socially. And isn't it interesting? I mean, I'm the guy who works with teenagers here. Isn't it interesting? We look at teenagers and they're like, man, they're so concerned with what other people think about them. And yet that plagues all of us, doesn't it? We're concerned about what it might cost us to identify with Jesus socially or maybe even relationally. If I do that, it's gonna cost me some relationships. And like these friends, they're legit. Like they're my coworkers and I wanna be friends with them, 
but if I really like go after Jesus, they're probably gonna shove me out. They're probably not gonna invite me to, bring me along for. And like, I got FOMO, man. Like, I've got a big fear of missing out. I don't want to like not be there for this thing. And your fear of what it will cost you relationally will blind you from the reality of Jesus. Or maybe it's none of those. Maybe for you, it's if you identify with Jesus, if you really go all in with him, you're concerned with what it will cost you financially. And I'm not saying that if you become a Christian, give us all your money. That's not the message of today, all right? Like, don't email Brian and be like, Kate told us to give us all your money. He might be happy about that, actually. I don't know. <clears throat> That's not what I'm after. But I am saying that when we come to follow Jesus, we identify that he is Lord, and therefore he gets to say how we use our money. And for some of you, you don't want to go in all in with Jesus because you've got investments and 401k and Roth IRA and you bought low and sold high and you did all that was necessary to get yourself financially set up. And listen, don't hear me say like that punky millennial kid told us that we shouldn't save our money. That's not what I'm saying. Save your money. Be smart. And then open your hands to Jesus and say, this is yours anyway. Do what you want. Don't let your fear of what it will cost you blind you from the reality of and enjoying Jesus. Or maybe for you, it's none of those things. Maybe you're concerned with what it will cost you professionally to go all in with Jesus. I'm climbing the ladder. I'm making moves. I'm going to be at the top at the end of this thing. I got goals, man. I am career driven. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're not sacrificing your holiness on the way there. Pursue your goals. Be excellent at your job. But not at the cost of your holiness. Don't let your fear of what it might cost you professionally. Don't, don't, don't participate in practices that cost you your integrity. Because you're afraid of what it will cost you professionally. And maybe it's none of those things. Maybe for some of you, you don't want to go all in with Jesus because of what it will cost you familially. God's going to have something to say about how I treat my spouse. God's going to have something to say about how I raise my kids. God's going to have something to say for what we identify as success for our kids. And honestly, like, I've already got that picture. I don't need God's. And your fear will blind you from the reality of Jesus. It will blind you from enjoying Jesus. All three of these people are blind. One physically, but all three spiritually. They are not aware of the reality of Jesus, but one of them is going to walk away healed of both kinds of blindness. Let's look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had they cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered him, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Who is the one healed of their spiritual blindness? The one who acknowledges Jesus, Jesus for who he is, the one who sees him for who he is. How does the blind man respond to Jesus? Lord, I believe. And he fell on his face, and he worshiped him. So to you, Every one of us in here was spiritually blind from birth. 
Ephesians 2 says we are dead in our sins by our very nature's children of wrath. We are at enmity with God because of our sin. And left to ourselves, we have no ability to look on him and be saved. And yet God in his kindness sends his son Jesus to live, die, and rise. And by the power of his spirit, pull scales off of our eyes so that we might look on him and live. So if you're here today, and you've just been rolling around religious stuff, you think you've got enough Bible information to get by, or you're fearful of going all in with Jesus, but you're feeling the pull of the Spirit of God in you today, I hope that you would respond to that and look on Jesus and live. Because when we see him for who he is, we respond rightly. And now maybe you're here and you're like, this is great, man, but like I'm already a Christian, and so maybe that's for them, but it's not for me. But if we're just honest about it, there are seasons of our life as followers of Jesus where we let self-righteousness blind us from enjoying Jesus. There are seasons of our life where we let fear blind us from enjoying Jesus. As Christians, we can wear, we can wear badges of honor that we think merit something before God. Man, God, did you see how I treated my spouse this week? Did you see how I, did you see how I love my kids this week? Let me be clear. God enjoys those things. God, did you see how many check marks are on my Bible reading plan? Like, I'm killing it this week, God. Didn't you see? And we can think those are the things that are giving us God's love and kindness and grace toward us, and none of that merits you acceptance from God. So to those of you who are on the self-righteous hamster wheel of life, can I just ask you a question? Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of trying to figure out what is necessary to prove yourself right before God? Aren't you tired of pulling it together and being ashamed before God because you just can't get it right all of the time? To those of you who are tired, hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation from Jesus to a weary people is, come to me. Look on me and live. Turn to Jesus. Because here's the truth. There is no righteousness that will merit us anything before God other than the righteousness of Christ. We will not stand before God and show him anything and say, isn't this good enough, God? We will only stand before God and say, I'm with him. I'm in him. I'm hiding behind him. And the son will say to the father, Father, give them my righteousness, my righteousness for their unrighteousness, so that when you look on them, God, you see me and you say, well done. I'm pleased with you. That's the only righteousness that will matter before God. So does your obedience matter? Sure it does. Out of gratitude for the righteousness that you've been given from Jesus. Not as a means to gain it. And don't let your self-righteousness blind you from the reality of Jesus or blind you from enjoying Jesus. But perhaps for you it's fear. You don't want to roll all in with Jesus because of fear of what it will cost you. Even as a follower of Jesus, you don't want it to cost you socially or 
relationally or financially or professionally or familially or otherwise. So you just kind of keep areas to yourself. This is mine. That's yours, Jesus. We just hear the words of Matthew 16. Jesus says this. Then he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There is a cost to this. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus gives a response here. Hey, you want to come with me? There is a cost to rolling with me. But what you gain far outweighs what it costs. What will it profit you if you gain the world but you forfeit your soul? What will it profit you, friend? If you gain all the social platform and the relationships and the financial stability and the professional ladder or the familial success, but you forfeit your soul along the way because you let fear blind you from the reality of Jesus. You let fear blind you from enjoying Jesus. Let's respond like the man in verse 35 and following. Lord, I believe and worship him. To say, I want my life to be defined as worship to you, God. The way that I go to church, the way that I'm at my business, the way that I'm at my house, the way that I'm in my neighborhood, the way that I am everywhere that I go, I want it to be this outpouring of worship to you. Because that's what happens when we see Jesus for who he really is, we respond rightly. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? And perhaps for some of you, you're here and not a follower of Jesus. Uh, and maybe, maybe, uh, by God's spirit, the, the scales are being pulled off of your eyes. I would just encourage you. Deal with that. Respond to that. Maybe your response to that it's the words of the guy in verse 35 and following. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And you'll put your faith in Jesus today. And maybe for others of you, you are a follower of Jesus. And yet you're prone to letting some things creep in and blind you from enjoying Jesus. Maybe it's self-righteousness. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's something else. And maybe before you stand up to respond in song, you might just sit there and have a conversation with God and repent of that stuff. Turn away from it and say, look, I, God, I have tried so hard to offer you things that I think merit righteousness before you. But I'm here just to say, none of that works other than Jesus in my place. So keep me far from it, God. Maybe it's fear for you. And you need God to free you from that. So maybe your prayer sounds something a little bit like this. Father, would you please free me from the fear of what it will cost me by reminding me of all that I gain in Christ. For whatever it is, maybe you could just voice a prayer to God that says, help me to look on Jesus and live. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll get a moment to respond here. If there's stuff that you need us to pray for, ways that we can 
lift your arms today. There'll be some pastors and prayer partners up here. We'd love to do that. I'm gonna pray and we'll respond. Father, I'm grateful for just a few moments to open the scriptures to see who you are as we see who you are, as we see who Jesus is. Help us to respond rightly. Free us, embolden us, give us strength, meet us in our hurt, whatever is necessary here. Minister to us by the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand. Let's respond together.